Welcome to Knit, Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat with Lisa Conway and Denise Finley. Let's listen in and see what's happening, who's happening, and what's new in their world. Today, I'm going to ask questions to help Denise explore her design process and to figure the steps she could take the next time that will assist her in writing her first pattern. Hey, Denise. Hey, Lisa. Is the sun shining where you're at? It's snowing. Okay, so no sun. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a lovely, soft, gentle, mid-range, you know, not, not super huge wet flakes, not super tiny dry flakes. It's like in between. Well, it's 60 degrees here and sunshiny, so you probably hate me. <laughs> Quite honestly, if I could just curl up next to a fire with a book would be like the perfect day. Exactly. Denise, is, I'm going to step you through what you did in the design process of the two wedding dresses you made. Yes. So that we can examine what the process looks like, at least for you. Because, you know, everyone goes through it differently. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes but your design process and then examine a little bit of how you could have taken those next steps so that you could have shared the pattern and built a business on selling the pattern so that other people could create the same thing you created. Right. Now, uh, whether we really, you really wanted to do that with your granddaughter's wedding dress may not have been the case, right? You might have wanted that to stay a one of a kind, but if you had wanted to turn that out into the world so that other people could create it too, mm -hmm. what were the next things that you could have done to do that? Right. Well, it'll be good information for all of our listeners, but also for me in case it ever happens again. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how do you take those next steps? What do you need to be doing during the process that helps you complete it by writing it down? Right. So, so today we are going to look at what you did. So the very first thing that always happens in creating a pattern, and I don't care who you are, is inspiration. So what information did you your granddaughter or your friend provide you that created the basis of the design of for their wedding dress? Well, surprisingly enough, each one of them gave me a sketch. My granddaughter's was, uh, how can I say this? It was much easier to follow. She did it in red ink. It was easier to see. And she is somewhat of an artist herself. So that made it easy, easy to work with. The second, uh, Danielle, her, I'll say her name, her uh, sketch was very light and hard to see. And because she showed me mm, about halfway through the dress, some ideas that she had for the train, we had to do a few adjustments. And those ideas came from photos that she sent me of another dress that someone else had created and that's available commercially. So it, for the most part, both of them came from sketches. Okay. And their inspirations mm -hmm. 
created those sketches. So when they gave you the sketch, what questions did you ask that helped to clarify what they really wanted? Or was the sketch enough for you? Okay. The sketch for uh, Carlin, my granddaughter, was very clear. But there are always those questions. What kind of drape do you want? Do you want it to be a, a stiff fabric or did you want it to flow? Um, were you going to wear a an underdress? Because let's face it, if you're crocheting something, 99% of uh those kind of dresses need to have an underdress under them. And what color is it going to be? How much of it do you want to see? There were, with Carlin's dress, there were over 8,000 beads on that dress when I finished it. So we talked a lot about bead placement. With Danielle's, we thought we were going to go with a lot of beads but I custom designed the sleeve specifically and it just didn't look right with beads anywhere except where we finally placed them. And that was at the bottom of a bell hem. They were both uh, very different dresses. I have called Carlin's dress the pineapple dress because the skirt was beaded pineapples. I have called Danielle's dress Lady Guinevere meets the corpse bride because (laughs) (laughs) because the bottom and the train of her dress is from a corpse bride. I took the inspiration from a corpse bride dress that someone else had actually drawn a picture of. I didn't find any dresses with that and, and the train is so totally different anyway. It looks like she's standing in a puddle of water. So each one of them had different fabrications slash yarn type requirements. So your questions related a lot to what fiber you were going to use, what size hook you were going to use, and clarifying their picture of what they wanted so that you could make the right choices. Yes, because uh, with Carlin's dress, she wanted something a little shiny. And at that point, I was completely unfamiliar with crochet thread that had a sheen to it. And boy, did I get a crash course on things like that. With uh, Danielle's, She specifically wanted a very Renaissance, medieval type look about her dress. And so we we used just a plain uh, crochet cotton. So were both dresses then made out of a crochet cotton type base? Danielle's was. I don't have it right here exactly with me. Uh, Danielle's was a cotton crochet thread. Uh, Aunt Lydia's uh, fashion, I think, three. It's a heavier weight. It's a much heavier weight than the one I used for Carlin's. Carlin's was a much thinner 
yarn, the weight of it. And it was, had a sheen to it, of course. It took a lot longer to get me going where I was going with hers <laughs> than it did with, with Danielle's. So you had to sample more different types of fibers and that sort of thing on Carlin's yes, dress. Yes, yes. Um, also, I I have played around with different yarns with different patterns often. I don't always use, in fact, maybe I could count on one hand the number of times that I have used the yarn that was actually designated in any given pattern. I always do a substitution. It just seems that way. I like the color better. I like the drape better. I like whatever. So with Carlin's, it was exceedingly difficult, not only because she wanted, she knew exactly what she wanted. And I enjoy working with people like that. But she lived in New Mexico and I was in Washington State up in Seattle at the time. So we had to mail things back and forth. I did a gauge swatch and I would put it in an envelope and mail it off to her. And then I would do, she'd go, I think this is it. So I would do another gauge swatch with the beads on it and show her how it was going to drape and flow. That was kind of a long process for hers. With Danielle's, it was simply we just chose the kind of uh, thread that she wanted and the color. So, and, and she's local to where I'm at. So that was a much easier process. Yeah. Anytime you have to deal with the delay of sticking things in snail mail. Yeah. That does challenge things a little bit. I wonder if Carlin's dress had been done more recently if the addition of some of the computer technologies would have made things just a little easier for you. Like Zoom and Facebook Messenger yeah. Live and all that. I think it would have. Only in the fact that at some point I would have sent the dress to her and had her try it on and then she would have had to send it back to me. Right. Because you can only see and feel so much on a screen. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, like I said, she knew exactly what she wanted. Those are, for me, my experience, it was a very easy person to work with. Danielle was also very easy to work with. I require a year. If a bride comes to me and says, oh, I saw you do so-and-so's dress. I want one just like it, or I want one similar. Will you make my dress for me? I explain to them, first of all, right off, that I need a solid year. When is your wedding date? And with each one of them, I had about 14 months. Yeah, that does make it kind of nice for the design process. It's it's not a fast get them out, out there kind of thing, but at least you have the time to match what they really want. Because what you're really doing is not designing something that is made for the general public. You're creating a one-of-a-kind that... Yes. Isn't really meant to be duplicated, although we are going to be talking about how you could have gotten to the point where it could be. I call them bespoke wedding gowns, which means one of a kind designer gowns. Oh, yeah. So my next question actually related a bit to what you've already covered, which is how you chose materials. You chose based on each person's wants in terms of Carlin asked for shiny mm -hmm. and 
Danielle really didn't require that so much as something that was a little more rustic. Correct. Yes. So did you ever consider alternatives to cotton? We played around with the idea briefly, but her mind was already set. And that is what she wanted. And I have this little thing. I've been in a lot of weddings and I've helped with weddings. My thing is, well, you know what? It's her day, whatever the bride wants. Right, right. I just wondered because having seen pictures of Danielle's dress, I wonder how heavy it ended up being. It is very heavy. It is not the however many pounds Jennifer Lopez's was on Marry Me. I just saw that this morning in the news. Uh, 20 pounds or 10 pounds or something. It's not as heavy, but it did get heavy, especially with the train. The only benefit is that huge train is on the floor. So that takes up the weight of it. Were you ever concerned that that train would pull on the rest of the dress, though, and more or less deform it on the day? We talked about that, and I told her that that was a distinct possibility because it was getting exceedingly heavy. And she said it didn't matter to her. She is going to wear two and a half inch heels on these cute little English boots that are just lattice cut out. They're amazing. A blue, one of the blues that's in the puddle. And she decided that her walk down the aisle isn't going to be very long. It wasn't like a huge church or she's getting married outside and there will be a runner. And I don't know if it's cloth or plastic at this point in time, but she knew that it, her look, the puddle that she's standing in won't be in place until she's standing at the uh, altar. She knew that she'd be dragging it down the aisle egg actually. But right. it, it was quite heavy. And I told her, I said, well, it might pull a little bit on the front, like uh, right around your uh, arms and something when you're walking. But she pr- she's practiced in it and she said it does not do that. Okay, good, good. So how did you decide on which stitches to use? I know in Carlin's dress, for example, the the pineapple became a really important part of the dress. I also know it took you a couple of trial and errors before you found the right thing. What was it that settled you on that particular stitch and know that that was going to do what you wanted it to do? On the pineapple or on the top? On the pineapple in particular, but any pieces of it, how did you choose? What was your process? I started at the top because it was a top-down dress. And I found a pattern on Ravelry that was similar, was a free pattern. Uh, And I reworked, (laughs) here is what I did write down, and it's somewhere in my storage area behind me. The pattern that I copied was worsted weight with a size either H or I hook. I was using a 2.0, almost a, a metal hook, with very fine crochet thread. But I wanted that uh, wave ripple 
seashell look that that's what she wanted. And so I just kind of translated it to that. Uh, I don't really do it. <laughs> did it. Hard to explain. I Then I had to work on the increasing and the decreasing for her bust line and for the waistline. The stitches that I was using are very simple double crochets. And you just place more than one of them in each stitch to make a to make an increase. Uh, it was a, it wasn't once I got going on it when I first started it was very daunting. I thought I don't think I'm ever going to get this done. But once I got started on it and then created the sleeves, it was just like it just came out of me. So it wasn't like you went to stitch dictionaries and dug through. Carlin basically told you this was the look she wanted. Correct. So you went and found what matched that image. Correct. That is exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And on Danielle's dress, was it that simple as well? Or yes. Or did you have to do more searching? Nope. She found a pattern. Actually, I found about a dozen patterns because I really didn't know what she wanted. After I saw her sketch, it could have gone either way for, in a lot of different areas. And there wasn't any specific stitch patterns like Harlan's had. So I said to her, I said, well, do you want something like this? Or would you prefer more of a mesh? Or would you prefer a shell pattern up on at the bodice? And she's wanted super plain. She just wanted really simple. And one of the patterns I shown, showed her the, well, much of the dress. Again, I just used a portion of the bodice as inspiration was a mesh. And I showed that to her and she's like, that's it. That's what I want. And that's what she got. <laughs> so in some respects for both of these dresses, you took someone else's design and uh, then altered it rather than I'd starting with a stitch and creating from scratch. Oh, I did not create a stitch, but I also didn't use very much of their design. Right. It, you use their design as inspiration. Yes. I'm not saying that you took their design and, and no. changed it. Yeah. What you did was you said, this is the look I want to go for. This is the stitch they use to mm -hmm. create that. I can use this stitch and then do my own thing. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had to have a picture of it. And the sketches were great, especially Carlin's, but I didn't have enough experience of my own of creating my own thing i have always called myself a good pattern follower so that's what i did i did what i knew but you still changed it enough that it could have become your own pattern without any issue it was just Definitely. using their specific stitch to create the shape and knowing okay now I want to change it for this shape and this yes. overall. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact you probably didn't use all of their design. I know in Carlin's, for example, when you got to the skirt and started doing the, the pineapple, right. there were a couple of different ways that you played with doing that. Yeah. That made to make that work because of the, the drape that you needed. Well, in the way that you can make a pineapple nest next to each other i even tried like uh alternating upside down and right side up 
uh, I tried several different things. Um, I did look again at a, I think it was a prom dress that had a similar uh, skirt to it. No beads. The pineapples were way further apart. There was more mesh in it. I just wanted, she wanted it exactly the way she drew it in her pattern, you know, pineapple after pineapple after pineapple. And then as you got down to the bottom, you had more pineapples, <laughs> you know, cause you were increasing. So Carlin actually did the stitch search for you. <laughs> she, she's so funny. She does crochet a little bit and she just knew what she wanted and wrote it down. She didn't know she was drawing a stitch <laughs> when she did it. <laughs> That's funny. It was. Um, but it was great inspiration because you then were able to duplicate what she saw in her head just because of your experience. The highest compliment I have ever had from anything that I've made for anybody was she called me in tears after she received the final dress and told me, oh, Nana, you have actually taken my vision and brought it to life. That's really cool. And for one artist to say that to another artist, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is huge. That's that's really huge. I hope Danielle is as appreciative. Oh, she is. She's She just can't. Her wedding is in six weeks, and she can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> she What she can't wait for is for her fiancé to see her in it. I'm sure. <laughs> with, with all that hard work, I know just a little bit of that. We all kind of have that feeling when we go to get married, yeah. that especially if we've had the time to put into creating such a unique piece to be able to share it with the world and, and especially with the man of our choice the, or the person of our choice. Right. The big surprise is he has no idea that she changed the bottom of it. He just thinks it's like a regular wedding dress with a regular train. And they're both sort of into that kind of supernatural uh tim burton you know that kind of movie stuff and so when she comes down there and then stands in that train that looks like a puddle she said he's gonna lose it <laughs> <laughs> i'm like you what? I love it <laughs> yeah were there moments when you did things for these dresses that you said i just know this is gonna work or was it a constant yeah, this didn't quite work the same way I thought it would, and I've got to rework this. How did that process go? Once I began, there was not a lot of frogging or ripping out, other than if the stitch counts were wrong or the increases were in the wrong spot for Carlin. For Danielle, she is differently shaped which was a challenge okay. in a couple of areas. And so the bodice, I basically wanted to throw it in the fireplace before I was done with it, <laughs> but it finally worked out. I, I finally figured out what I was doing wrong and carried on accordingly. Okay. So there was some real trial, trial and error there. Yes. And it had to do with the shaping rather than the stitch choices or the fiber choices. Yep, correct. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Did you ever feel like you needed to revisit 
things like materials or stitch patterns because the fabric you were creating didn't quite match the goal? Not with Carlin's. With Danielle's, I really did question it before I even finished the bodice. Uh, because she is local, I was able to have her over or I went to her house and tried it on her, explained to her the process and what it was going to look like, that it wasn't going to be like her sister's dress, which was Cinderella's big bridal poofy dress. It wasn't going to look like that at all. And it wasn't going to feel like that either. And she was completely fine with it. She does a lot of cosplay. And so she's worn a lot of different period uh, period type dresses that are heavier. And so she wasn't worried about that. But I was. <laughs> I thought we were going to have to. In fact, at one point, we discussed getting a lighter thread. And, and she just said, no, I don't want it that way. This is the exact look I'm looking for. Now, you said you require at least a year. Yes. How long did each dress actually take you from start to finish? Hour-wise or, or month-wise? Month-wise is sufficient, un unless you have, hour have tracked your hours. I started to track my hours with Carlin's, and we ended up moving from Seattle to San Francisco. And back to Portland. So I just couldn't keep track of that. In fact, for about, I rarely worked on it when we were in San Francisco. It was such a horrible time for us. So for Carlin's dress, because of the beads, and I kept running out of beads, I kept having to go back to the store and get more beads. I'm going to say six to nine months with a very wide window because I really lost track of everything, track of time. I completed her dress a month before her wedding day so I could get it shipped to her so she could have it on while her other grandmother made the underdress, <laughs> which was kind of cool. With Danielle's, I'm going to say probably the same time frame. You know, that doesn't seem like very long when you consider these were wedding dresses that were quite involved. Well, in, in what I'm speaking of, Lisa, is the actual crocheting part. I am going to say that up front, there was two to three months of planning, of gauge swatching, of agonizing over... And I'm not talking about the distance between New Mexico and, and Washington. It was, my mother always taught me, and my mother designed wedding gowns, only she sewed them. She hand-beaded uh, sewn gowns. She always told me that it was the setup and the preparation that took the longest. I think that goes for all kinds of things, especially the handmade things. I know as a dabbler in weaving, for example. Right. All of your time is, at least 50% of the time you spend weaving something is in the planning and preparation and warping of the loom. Once you've got that loom warped, the actual weaving doesn't take that long. Right? Yeah. And it was, it was this, well, here's the horrible thing that happened with Danielle's dress. 
I ordered about maybe two thirds of what I needed for her entire dress because that's all they had available at the time online, you know, pre full, full blown COVID. And I was getting close to the end of it. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to have enough of this. So I started trying to reorder. No one had it available. I panicked. <laughs> so yeah, word of caution to everybody over order. It doesn't matter how much you have to spend because that was not even worth the mental stress I went through. But then that was when she decided, well, it was, we had decided earlier that we were going to do the blue, the puddle train. And thankfully so, because that was available. I had exactly two balls of 139 yards left over when I was done. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of too close for me. <laughs> well, we say over and over again, if you're get, getting ready to do even someone else's pattern, it's wise to buy extra <laughs> because as, okay, as a person who does grading and part of the grading process is figuring out yarn usage for each size, you, you do add at least 10 to 15% to what you calculate mm -hmm. to make sure that the knitter has enough because if their gauge is slightly looser, whatever, they're going to use more than you used. Mm -hmm. But as the knitter reading that pattern, even though you know the designer has calculated in that little bit extra for swatching and that kind of thing, it's always wise to buy an extra ball. Well, and, and here's the thing about the extra ball thing. Carlin's thread came on tiny little spools and didn't carry a lot of yardage on it. I must have gone through a hundred of those little spools because, and they came from Turkey. Okay. <laughs> the country of Turkey. I was, and I only had, I think I had like five of those left over when I got to the end of her dress, but I was hers. I didn't worry about for some reason it was Danielle's. So I was just very grateful that it all turned out the way it did. I think that there might have been a way that I could have uh, fudged a little bit here and there. But the skirt turned out exactly the way it was supposed to. And it was exactly the correct length with all of the train the way it was supposed to be. So, yeah, my, my advice to anybody is... And I overbuy all the time, Lisa. I mean, all the time. I'm overbuy. I don't know what happened this time. <laughs> well... Yeah. You said it briefly, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the things that has happened over the last two years with the pandemic is getting materials has become a huge challenge. I know that our local big box stores, their selection of yarn mm -hmm. yeah. has dramatically decreased, especially the better quality yarn, because a lot of it is imported mm -hmm. rather than being made in the United States. And that means that we're they're they're having challenges getting it. Mm -hmm. And that means we can't get it. So to design a wedding dress with specific needs for something that probably wasn't manufactured in the United States, or even if it was, the factory likely got closed mm -hmm, for right. at least some period of time. I thought of that, yeah. 
which means the stores couldn't get it, whether that be online or local, they couldn't get it. Therefore you couldn't get it. That's, mm -hmm. it's been a much more difficult process over the last couple of years. The fact that you managed to do it mm -hmm. is amazing. And believe me, people, when you see the, the pictures of these dresses, you're just going to just, your jaw is going to hit the floor because they're amazing. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Let me, let me just for about supplies. We also, she has four bridesmaids and I'm the matron of honor and she wanted every one of us to have a shawl and we decided on the lost souls shawl and we, I beaded them. Doesn't ever call for beads. Not very many people have put beads on this shawl. I've made this shawl hundreds of times. And that was the challenge was the beads. It was difficult to find enough of the same color and the same size for four shawls. Yeah. Beads, especially yeah. because beads are almost all imported. I was surprised. Yeah. Especially better quality beads. If, if you do any beading at all, and I have in fact done some loom beading and that sort of thing, yeah. you're, Quality beads either come from Czechlo yep. Czechoslovakia or from Japan. Yep. And it, I needed to get them locally because I needed to get them done before I s lost my mind, basically. And I didn't have time to wait for two months for something to get shipped. You know? Yeah. So it was it was quite the adventure, bead shopping. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear you. I totally hear you. So if you had been decided that you wanted to turn either of these dresses or both of these dresses into a pattern, what steps would you have needed to take during the process of creating them and then immediately following to have helped you get it written down so that you could sell it as a pattern? Lisa, I thought a lot about this. I think I would try to use every bit of technology that I have at my disposal. I think I would record a lot of things. I think I would video a lot of things. I think that I would uh, write it down, of course. But I don't think I would rely only on that. Because my process probably is very similar to a lot of other people's, but it was new to me. And I would never even know how to go about writing down some of the things that I did. And so I could take that video to someone like you, a tech editor or a friend that's way more advanced in crochet than I am and say, how do you even say this? How do you put this on paper? So I think I would, I would take advantage of a lot of my technology that I have in the house and, and my two guys that live here with me that, you know, my son and my husband that know a lot of stuff. And I would, I would use a lot. I have a little camera, you know, that I can hang on well, my son has it, that you can hang on something and, and you do the work underneath it, like for filming for YouTube. And I would try to, to, to incorporate that, or at least partially, not like the whole thing, but in different steps that I'm doing. I think well, that those might have helped. Well, those could have ended up being great tutorial videos oh, true. that you could use alongside the pattern, <laughs> as well as reminding yourself, okay, how did I do this? Hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. You're right. As far as taking a video to a tech editor, we generally don't. We look at a video and make sure it matches the pattern you've written. We don't generally turn videos into patterns. Hmm. What I might suggest mm -hmm. is 
I found a book a little while back called The Crochet, Complete Crochet Course. I'm sorry. I had to look over <laughs> on my desk to make sure I got the title right. Mm -hmm. There is a section in that book about how to read a pattern. And I think that if you were to take that information, you could turn it to, okay, so then what do I need to do to write a pattern? Oh, okay. I've not a heard of that book. Editor helps you refine it once it's written down. Right. And we're really good at saying, well, you know, you kind of created your own abbreviation for this, but that abbreviation already exists in this form. Maybe we should use this instead. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of things that a tech editor, editor would do for you. Hmm. But really learning how patterns are written, you know, and how to read them can really in yeah. truly assist you in figuring out how to write them. Learning to write my first pattern really came from knowing the intimate details of how to tear a pattern apart mm -hmm. to improve it as a tech editor. You know, I'm going to throw something in right here because you just reminded me of the reason why their dresses fit as well as they did. I did everything to measurement. And that comes from my experience as a seamstress. I fitted every unth of that dress to them specifically. Now, you were talking about grading patterns and all that. That's what reminded me of it. Um, yes. And that is one of the challenges in writing a pattern because in trying to make it multiple sized, mm -hmm. you can't necessarily custom fit it. But what you could do is once you have your multiple sizes graded, mm -hmm. you could then insert tips yes. as to how to modify so that if your body isn't exactly the size, mm -hmm. here's what I did to fix it for this specific body. That's interesting. And you can include those kinds of tips on how to modify your pattern to fit better. For example, in knitting, we, we regularly have these very straight sweaters. If you want to modify and, and, create some waist shaping mm -hmm. it's easy to write into a pattern if you wish some sh waist shaping calculate your decreases on this angle and then your increases on this angle and that would allow the end knitter to say oh i don't have to knit it exactly this way there's a tip here that says this is how i can change it i actually have a book that talks about uh, shaping and knitting. That's interesting that you should say that. I've, yeah. Hmm. And you can do the same thing with crochet. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. not as experienced in it. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, if I were to have one of your patterns handed to me to tech at it, I would be saying, no, 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 no. You need to go to this friend of mine who's a much better crochet tech editor than I am. Right. And I do have friends who I could turn to and say, do you have time to take this pattern to tech at it? Because sure. you're better at that than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have our strengths. <laughs> That's correct. And while I do crochet, I've never made a crocheted garment. So I would never attempt to tech edit a crocheted garment. I can tech edit 
simple things, scarves and blankets mm -hmm. and those type of things. But if it includes shaping, I'm probably going <laughs> to turn it over to someone else. So writing things down using the technology at hand would have helped you get to that final point. And really, my biggest tip, copious notes. Well, I can honestly tell you that for Carlin's, I have copious notes in storage somewhere around here on legal pads. I do. I don't know how far I got with them before I gave up and said, I'm just going to, I have to finish this thing. I can't keep writing stuff down, <laughs> you know, but um, I could fake it, you know. I do that is the that. problem with a, a, a custom design that's being made to fit a specific body. I know in yeah. years past, I have done that very same thing. Mm -hmm. I, in my younger years, and I'm saying much younger years, <laughs> I did work for a while doing one of a kind sweaters. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, did you get all the questions that you had? I did. Uh, big thing is, Denise, did you feel like if you were to tackle this again, what would you do to change the process? So maybe at the end of it, you had a pattern. Well, like I said, I would, I would use technology. I would write it down more. I would use a, a recording so I could speak into like my laptop or my phone. I, I would just make it a more streamlined, easier process, but eventually right. I would get it all on a pattern and written down. I would yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and maybe the next time you start a project like this, you can think a little bit, a little bit of part of that planning will be, what will I do to make sure at the end of this process, I've got that extra piece of information that I need. Yeah, exactly. Which neither one of these were designed for for that purpose, but it was a great exploration of the steps it takes to get from point A to point B. It was a push the envelope kind of thing. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. It is getting time for a little bit of food on my end <laughs> and you have a great day and I hope our listeners gained something from today's exploration. Well, thanks Lisa. I enjoyed it. Have a good night. All right. Don't forget to hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss our next episode when we interview Erin Clayton of Erinine Designs. Erin is a knitwear and graphic designer and is creating courses relating to pattern writing and design. So just to wrap up, remember you can reach us through our Facebook or our Ravelry group at our email at knitdesignedit at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about tech editing or grading or other services that I provide, please visit my website at arcticedits.com. I would love to see that, and I would love to see the one that Nathan mentioned on our one of our previous podcasts, the sweater that looked like the landscape during the day on one side and the night in the other, and it was double-knitted. Oh, you know, I, I want to see that pattern. I have to be honest. I have seen that pattern. <gasps> I have not. I would love to. At, one, at some point in my life, I, I saw that pattern, mm. and it, I'm pretty sure it was in a magazine. 
Probably, yeah. And I don't know that if it whether it exists online at all because that would have been. I think that pattern came actually came out in the nineties. Those nineties. How back? How far back Mm -hmm. that that goes, or further? It might have even been a little farther back than that. But I do recall seeing a pattern that was that concept Mm -hmm. of a cardigan with the so cool day scene and the night scene. Mm -hmm. Oh. You know, it'd be interesting to try a search. Anyway, Denise, <laughs> we are running on at the mouth at this point. I'm not really sharing any great information for our listeners. Well, they can listen in on our phone conversation. You know, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, people, if you le- heard our regular just, hey, we want to chat for a few minutes and ended up talking for an hour and a half, that's the way we run. 